welcome to the Full Capacity Living Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Bush. As a board-certified integrative and functional medicine health coach, I work with physicians and clients across the country to create healthy habits that stick. The mission of this podcast is to empower you, the listener, to take charge of your own health and to shift the healthcare paradigm one conversation at a time. Each episode digs deep into health and wellness informed through the lens of integrative and functional medicine. I talk to those in the trenches doing the work and sharing ideas. You will hear from cutting-edge leaders and everyday people making the world and our lives better each moment through nutrition, mindfulness, gut health, spirituality, movement, and so much more. Are you living up to your full capacity? Well, stay here, have a listen, and maybe expand your world a little bit. Now on to this week's show. Okay, welcome, Dr. Katie. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, this is really, um, it's, so I call this podcast the Full Capacity Living Podcast, and it really encapsulates a lot of um, just all the aspects of what leads to living a healthy life and figuring out how to do that. So I'm excited to have you here and kind of talk about your journey into integrative um, medicine and functional medicine and just let us know a little bit about you. Um, give us your background. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to do this and a, and a welcome change of pace from seeing patients and just sort of the busy way of life that so many of us have. You know, we just move from one thing to the next and I'm as guilty as the next person of overscheduling and just not taking enough time to um, really pause. And so it's really nice actually just to be sitting here and talking to you um, okay. about all the stuff that's really important. So I got into integrative medicine pretty naturally. I think a lot of us get into this field because we have our own aha experiences. And then we think, ah, I need to share this with other people because it really has shifted, you know, life in the positive. Yeah. But my journey started um, a long time ago. Now that I think about it, um, and it started out with sort of always being a little bit unhappy with my physical body. And I think I, I struggled with weight as a kiddo and into my teenage years and young adult years. And I didn't realize until, you know, recently really how that shaped my relationship with food and also just how I think about myself. I know I've always been like a really high achiever and someone who was smart and capable um, but there was always that little voice inside who was sort of less than. Mm -hmm. And when I got to medical school and things were really tough and really, you know, up against the grind of, of studying and test taking and, and being with people who are the cream of the crop and really knew, always knew so much more than I did. Um, that was the first time that I really had a first sort of, um, you know, sort of interaction with like anxiety and depression and feeling that way. Mm -hmm. And then I got to residency and again, the bar was raised and again, I, you know, sort of rose to the occasion. Um, but it was so physically demanding on my body and so mentally and emotionally draining on my soul that I realized that all the things that I had always done just weren't working for me anymore. Ah. And so I went to go see my primary care doctor and we were chatting about different things. And at the same time, I, of course, wanted to become a mom and realized that wasn't going to be the easiest journey either. And so all these things kind of came crashing down on me. And as I'm talking to him, he did the best thing ever, which was that he really affirmed what I was feeling. And he just sort of said, like, it must be really tough to, you know, have all these things happen for you exactly the same time. And I think when someone acknowledges what we go through, like mm -hmm. that's one of the most important things that a practitioner of any type can do for us or a friend can do for us. Uh -huh. And that's what Dr. Jeremy did for me. Wow. And then at the same time, he said, you should go see my wife's acupuncturist. And that's what? when everything started to shift. Okay. So he, that acknowledgement is, it, you're right. It's huge. That doesn't happen often, especially in um, the, the small amount of time that most physicians have to work with people. Um, so, wow, what a shift. And so, so many things that you just kind of um, opened up about are really so important. Um, I think the, the idea that you said you felt less than, 
you know, that kept creeping mm -hmm. in, right? And I think that often people don't realize that even high achieving people have that sense of, oh, I'm not good enough, or I, I'm not, you know, as smart as the person next to me, um, no matter what circumstance you're in. So I think that's even, that's super powerful to just share with people right off the bat, because they might look at you and feel like, wow, you've got everything together, right? You know, kind of how your life is going to go. And so acupuncture, that was sort of your gateway in, right? That was the gateway. And, you know, about that same time, I had decided to support a friend and I ran the Napa to Sonoma half marathon, which ends at the Sonoma Wine Festival, which is amazing, right? But not after you've run 13 miles. <laughs> it's the worst thing to do. Right, 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 I felt right. terrible after I had a glass of wine. I was like, this was the worst decision ever. <laughs> um, but I injured my knee running that race. And then I could no longer do like my most efficient exercise, which was at the time I was living in the city and I was running around Central Park on my, you know, in my free moments. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't do my running and I discovered yoga. And then at the same time, I sort of discovered that like I was feeling pretty crappy from all the hospital food that I was eating. So I stopped eating hospital food and I started packing my lunch. Ooh, and at the same food. time as that happened, I know, right? Big shifts. Oh. I decided that I wasn't going to be staying up and watching TV. I was actually going to get as much sleep as possible. Mm -hmm. And it, therein lies like the shift. Therein lies the shift that sort of happened for me, which was like, you know, taking out these things in my life that weren't serving me and putting in rhythms that did start to serve me. And like, it's not like something magically shifted, mm -hmm. you know, exactly in that moment. But those small shifts over the course of time um, are what led me, you know, ultimately into integrative medicine and thinking that like, there's got to be, there's got to be a better way to teach patients and ourselves, like how we take care of our bodies. Yeah. So, so how, how was it in terms of like coming from this traditional medicine background, you went to um, Columbia University, right? And you went to Wright State, mm -hmm. um, did your medical yeah. and pre-med stuff there. Um, so being trained in conventional medicine, and then all of a sudden these little things start coming into your mind around, oh, maybe I need to be thinking differently. How did you manage that shift and, and really, you know, sort of balance that with what you learned in medical school? So I think therein lies like the beauty of integrative medicine is that I love having all the tools that I learned in medical school and residency and even in, you know, in practice. I love having the options that I have to prescribe medication or to do fancy testing or to recommend surgery to a patient. But before all of those things happen, we have to have the base. Mm -hmm. And the base is the fertile ground that we plant all those things. And what is that fertile ground? It's taking care of your body mm -hmm. with really good nutrition, regular exercise and physical, you know, joyful physical movement. Um, it's making sure that the body rests every day. And then it's paying attention to that tiny voice that lives in all of us, that spiritual self that, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. just gets pushed to the back burner. Yeah. It's all of that which creates the fertile ground. And unfortunately, Western medicine, I mean, you know this as well as anyone, Western medicine doesn't really talk about the fertile ground. It just gives you, it just gives you what you're supposed to do to fix the problem. Right. Um, right. But it doesn't give you the, the support system to make that happen. And that's why integrative medicine is so great is because I get to use all the tools that exist in Western medicine, but then I get all the tools that exist in complementary medicine too. Yeah. And having that whole big bag of tools is what I think helps me make a really, um, a really authentic and productive doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also want to kind of go back to the idea that you were talking about the, the tiny shifts that you made um, and, and bringing those two things together. You're right. It's such a beautiful connection that, that you don't say, well, we're not going to do anything traditional because that isn't okay. Right. It's, it's the, the marriage of those two things. Um, when you realized that hospital food might be some of the <laughs> some of the connection to how you were feeling or or not feeling your optimal um, best, um, tell me a little bit about the nutrition piece of that. So, how did you come to find that and decide that that was your shift? Well, you know, I, I mentioned at the start that um, I was an um, an overweight kid, and and when I share my journey, that's in no way, 
meant to judge anybody else's journey. This is just yeah. my experience with life. And I want to put that out there. Um, but I never really knew how to feed myself. You know, I grew up in a time of, you know, in the nineties when I was a teenager and that's when we were all following the low fat diet. And so, right. you know, everything that I was eating was like low fat, this and snack wells that. And, you know, I, I didn't really understand that, like really satiating the body and getting the right hormonal signaling from the brain is actually a really beautiful combination of the right amount of protein, the right amount of fat and the right amount of carbohydrates, mm -hmm. all from unprocessed sources. And my mom did a great job. She was a wonderful cook and she did the best. She still cooks amazingly. Um, but I grew up in Ohio in the midst of cornfields and was eating tons of animal protein and corn and potatoes and lots of things that, you know, generally are converted to sugar very quickly. Mm -hmm. And then you combine that with soda and other processed foods that exist in the pantry. And all at once you've kind of got a recipe for disaster as far as the hormonal signaling goes. And so it wasn't really until medical school when I started, you know, just being a little bit more consistent about eating more salads, more plants, that kind of stuff, that it started to feel a little bit better. But then it really wasn't until residency when I really evaluated that hospital food and the stuff that they were bringing in for the residents for lunch to make our lives better, actually. I mean, that's the whole reason they did it was to help us yeah. to make, you know, the planning, the need for planning less. But when in fact, you know, every afternoon at like two o'clock, I was wanting like a cup of coffee because I couldn't stay awake. One, because I was sleep deprived, but also <laughs> sure, because I've just that. eaten way too many processed carbs at lunch. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. then it makes you reevaluate. Um, and I noticed that the days that I brought my lunch, I just felt more energetic. Mm -hmm. um, and so it just made sense to me that I needed to start to shift things. But that is not easy. It is not fun to be the resident who carries her lunch and her breakfast <laughs> and sometimes her dinner around hunting for a refrigerator, you know, and sometimes eating food that was lukewarm and may have put me at risk for food for an illness. Oh, you know, that's not, yeah. that's not fun. <laughs> right, right. You kind of feel like you're alone in it. And and this kind of goes back yeah. to also, you know, the amount of information that as a conventionally trained physician, you get around nutrition and how, how that is part of, um, you know, working with people who have any kind of illness. I know another physician I just interviewed recently said, you know, they, they taught her things about scurvy and, you know, just things that you would never actually see. So tell me, you know, how did you get your education around nutrition and was there any and, and how did you start to make that connection? Because it's not always apparent to people that it's the nutrition, right? Like you said, it, you know, if you're tired at two in the afternoon, sometimes people think, well, I must not have gotten a good night's sleep last night. They don't always connect it to the food. So. Oh, totally. And I, you know, in medical school, you know, as you bring up a, a great point, which is that we're not training our doctors very well. I think we honestly had like a hot four hours of nutrition wow. um, education by an amazing, she was an amazing res registered dietitian, but yeah. it was literally four hours. Wow. Um, and so it just wasn't enough, not enough time. Mm -hmm. So most of my education um, really started really in, in residency, like later residency, once I got interested in it, I started seeking it out on my own. Yeah. And then it really shored up during integrated medicine fellowship. That's when I really figured out that I wasn't, even though I was a pretty healthy eater, you know, in my early thirties, mm -hmm. that's when I figured out that I wasn't doing even really a, a, enough. Mm -hmm. And it was through thinking about, you know, the, the relationship of food to the way that it makes us feel to balancing the right amount of nutrients that really made me shift my own life. Um, and I became even more plant forward focused um, after um, doing a, a training with a colleague where we went to a place and we ate a mostly vegetarian diet for a couple of days. And even just coming off like the normal amount of meat that I had or animal stuff in my diet, um, I felt like I truly detoxed. Like I went to a CVS and took a pregnancy test in the bathroom because I felt so strange just switching from a pretty good diet to like a really, really healthy diet. Like I felt so strange. Um, and I got home and for the first time I was like, 
I really thought I was pregnant. I was like, I've not felt this weird in a long time. Um, but I literally, you know, I came home and I was like, for the first time had like normal digestion and I was sleeping better and my energy was amazing. And I was like, well, what was the shift prior to this conference? What was the shift? Yeah. And honestly, it was just eating a little less. It's not complete elimination in my life and not what I teach patients, mm -hmm. but it's just eating a little bit less of the inflammatory stuff and a lot more of the anti-inflammatory stuff. And if honestly, I teach patients that you can make this very easy for yourself. Yes. If you look at something and you don't recognize exactly where it comes from, it's probably not very good for you. And if you look at something and you're like, I know exactly where this comes from. This is an apple from a tree. This is brown rice from a bush. Right. Then you're probably fine. You're probably fine to have some of it. That's amazing that you felt so different. And so, so when you said so strange, what does strange mean to you? What were, what were the things that were different? <laughs> I'm not well, sure when you're actively going, when you're actively going through that detoxy type feeling, you can feel all shades of awful. Like I felt like I was pregnant. You could also feel like you were coming down with the flu. Yeah. Um, to me, it kind of felt a little fatiguey, a little bit like muscle achy. I was a little bit nauseous. Um, just, you know, just not feeling quite like yourself, but you're not quite sick either. You yeah. just don't feel, you just don't feel like yourself. Right. Um, and that's when I knew, like, I was like, wow, I thought I was a really good eater, but clearly, clearly I wasn't, you know? Right. And then it's also important to know, like, that's one thing I don't think that we talk enough about with patients that, that, that feeling that could potentially be there, but also what's on the other side of that, right? Once you got through that feeling, then how did you feel? Oh, thank you for bringing that up because it does take a few days to kind of work through like the stagnation, the stickiness of all of that. Um, but yeah, on the other side of it, you know, generally my energy is very good. Um, I feel like I have a lot of capacity to do what I want to do in my life, a lot of mental clarity. Mm -hmm. um, I think all of that comes, but you know, not till you've gone through the stickiness. Yeah. And therein lies, I think, a really important point that you know, you don't have to do something fancy like, you know, uh, a, a, a detox from, you know, stuff that involves a lot of supplements and like crazy foods. Like you literally can detox from your life in lots of different ways in, you know, in very like easy to easy to come by means, you know, it's just eating a little bit better, making sure you get enough rest, doing exercise that feels really great for you. And then getting rid of all the stuff in your life that just doesn't make you feel very good. It's those toxic relationships. It's those things that we do on a daily basis that we're like, ugh, this is just not, this is not serving me. It's getting rid of, you know, that noise. And, and detox is really your thing. That's kind of um, your, your sort of idea of what you want to open people up to, but also helping them understand it in a different way because I think detox has gotten a bad rap over the years and there's, there's lots of different ways that people talk about detoxing. Some of them can be kind of dangerous actually, but kind of looking at detox in a different way and sort of shifting that topic um, and shifting the way that people understand detox. Tell me what your, your definition of detox really is. So in my mind, our bodies already have all the innate wisdom that we need generally to detoxify our bodies. That's why we have a liver. That's why we have sleep. That's why we have all these like beautiful things in our body that allow us to get out the things we don't need, you know, sweat, urine, all that stuff. Um, and our bodies generally can do a really good job, but yeah. we don't let it do a good job because yeah. we're too busy, you know, out there powering through and riding down the highway at 65 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, I recently, um, I recently had a, um, an issue with my car and my car was making a noise and the car noise was only happening when I was going 20 miles an hour with my foot off the accelerator and the, the car was quiet and I was paying attention. Those mm -hmm. four things had to happen. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about how often do we ever go through our lives and ride at 20 miles an hour with our foot off the accelerator, mm -hmm. actually paying attention to what is happening? Like never, never, right? Because that's not what we do as Americans, right? <laughs> no. In my mind though, the detox, my detox 
is a time. It's a 10 day reset. You can do it in five, but I prefer 10, a 10 day time that you just take your foot off the gas pedal a little bit Mm -hmm. and focus on the rhythms that actually make the most sense so that your body can talk to you. And it generally your body will tell you what it wants. Just most of us aren't listening because it's not convenient. Oh, I think that there's a definite theme here from, you know, the idea of awareness and paying attention. And that's where it started for you. You started to just slowly become aware of these different things happening for you and the opportunities out there to change or to just open up to new things. And that's kind of what you're talking about here with this detox. It's, it's about opening up your mind, giving yourself time and slowing down to really pay attention and, and really connect with that awareness. And when you mentioned acupuncture um, in the beginning, and that was sort of your gateway into integrative medicine, um, tell me how that idea of acupuncture and what acupuncture does really informs what you do in the, in the detox part of, of what you educate patients on and your 10-day detox. How does that Yeah, absolutely. I love acupuncture. I think acupuncture um, acupuncture makes so much sense because it doesn't make any sense. Um, And I don't think that we have to really um, have a medical explanation for everything that exists in life that we know that works. And I love that about acupuncture, that I don't always have to explain it in terms of, you know, ions and you know, things happening in the body, it can just sort of work because it inherently does. Mm -hmm. But the whole idea with acupuncture is that when you, when you give the body the circumstances in which it can thrive, it generally does. And the Chinese medicine sort of philosophy is this idea that we all have an innate amount of chi or vital life energy. Mm -hmm. And that when our chi is deficient or stagnant or excessive or just out of balance, that the body just doesn't know how to behave. And our bodies are always trying to find the balance, right? And acupuncture is just one way to allow the body to get back into balance and allow for that free flow of energy um, in the body. And I think about that, that same thing happens when we detox. And, um, you know, detoxification, like I said, happens at night while we sleep. When we actually allow our bodies to rest, to get that full seven to eight hours, if that's what you need to feel rested. And, you know, it's all a bell-shaped curve. Some of us need six hours. Some of us need 10 or 12. Most of us need seven or eight. When you allow your body to sleep, when you allow your body to get out toxins by sweating every day during your physical activity, when you um, have good bowel movements because you've got enough fiber and water and, you know, enough powerful food and to power your digestion along, like when you have all these things in place, the body knows exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's also sort of the same idea in acupuncture. We're just trying to give the body the right circumstances so that it knows innately it can rely on its own wisdom and it knows what to do. Yeah, yeah. And of course, we always have to talk about um, poop in this <laughs> integrative medicine. <laughs> it's always a, a topic of, of, you know, well, it, it's so important, right? I mean... So it sounds like there's some pillars here that you're, you're focusing on. It's sleep, it's physical movement, it's quieting down to pay attention to what your body's telling you. It's making sure that you have some good nutrition. It's, you also mentioned the spiritual component, which is really important. And whether spirituality for each person means, you know, whether that's an organized religion or it's going out into the woods and having a hike, right? Because that can be a spiritual experience as well. Um, you've got these, these pillars of things that are really part of the whole plan. So have I missed anything? And, and tell me a little bit more about the spiritual component of what you, um, what you practice with your patients. I'm a really big believer in meditation. And meditation is hard. And I think it's really important to understand that finding quiet is not something that comes easy to most of us. In fact, it's like extraordinarily difficult, but therein lies the reason that we need to do it. It's because it's hard and we need to treat ourselves. We need to treat ourselves just like the way we treat small children when they're learning to walk. You know, you wouldn't go up to a one-year-old who falls down and be like, oh, you idiot, you (laughs) fell down. No, you would say to the child, be like, Hey, babe, get up. You can try again, right? 
That's exactly the way we need to treat ourselves during meditation. So instead of saying like, oh, look at you, you stink at meditation, your mind wandered again. It's this gentle welcome back of like, hey, your mind wandered. It's going to wander 30, 50 times in this next minute. That's okay. Just bring it back, right? Bring it back to the breath. Bring it back to whatever it is that is serving you in this meditative purpose. And, you know, sometimes it's really hard to center the mind. Um, And so I think a lot can be accomplished in 30 seconds, in 60 seconds, in five minutes. You don't need to sit in the Buddha position for 20 minutes with, you know, in your (laughs) own mantra position um, to really like have an impact on your mental and physical health. Because we know what happens in the mind affects the physical body. We know that we can actually recircuit the mind in a way that serves us. And that can happen in 30 second increments. Imagine the next time that we all sit at a stoplight and instead of fussing with the radio or, you know, thinking about who we can call or who we can text in that 20 seconds, if we just sat there, looked at the steering wheel and just breathed, like it's so funny, like how just little things like that built into your everyday life, simple things like every time you wash your hands, you just say, I'm just going to let go of the stress that I'm feeling right now. Yeah. Just little things that you do just make you feel better. And it's those tiny little things. It's nothing, nothing I talk about is like drastic change, right? I'm the antithesis of drastic change. I'm like the whole, my whole thing is like, let's just do a lot of little things that over the course of time amount to big change to the body. And that's how I've built all the stuff into my life and how I encourage patients to do it too. Well, I also think that that one of the key things that you mentioned here is embedding them into your day, which is a lot of what I talk about with the patients that I work. I usually, I tend to work with a lot of high achieving women. I, I do have men that I work with as well, but but the majority of the people that I work with are women. And they're, they're usually, like you said, going zero to 60 all day long and thinking, how can I put this stuff into my life? I don't have any time, right? So sometimes it is a shift about how do I make time, but it's also about embedding it into the things that you're already doing, really changing your mindset. As you said, you know, washing your hands. There's a physician that I work with that we started doing that, right? She said every, and especially with COVID, because now you have to clean so much in between, you know? So true. You have more time to have that spiritual moment or that breath or that time to just kind of let go and and get into a headspace where you can work with somebody different and let go of what you had earlier. So I love that idea and small change because that's so important. People get overwhelmed with those big changes and it doesn't have to be a big change. Small changes are where the sustainability comes. So thank you for saying that because um, I think that 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 is something that deters people from making any change at all is that it seems too overwhelming and too big. Oh, absolutely. I think you're totally right. I was just listening to my yoga teacher this morning. I'm now doing zoom yoga three times a week. I have to say that's like my, one of my COVID miracles. There's a couple COVID miracles that exist. That's (laughs) one is my, my teacher who I love from the city who I really fell in love with yoga learning from her she converted to zoom. So I was able to um, start seeing her again three times a week. But this morning she was saying, I always start my day with a glass of water before the coffee. She's like, so that if the whole day goes downhill, at least I know I did one thing for myself. (laughs) And I think if you can just start your day, if you can just find 30 seconds to breathe while you're washing your hands, if you can just drink water with lemon first thing in the morning, at least you did one thing, right? And the whole rest of the day could kind of go downhill, but at least you did one thing for yourself. And we hang our hat on that, on that one thing. Yeah. Yeah. And often too, when people talk about the whole day goes downhill because one thing didn't go well, um, you know, every moment is a chance to just change that trajectory. It doesn't have to keep going downhill, but I love that too, because you start your day out in a positive way and that sort of sets an intention for your day. So do you have a morning routine? Tell me about your morning routine. 
Well, you know, COVID kind of threw everything uh, for a loop. And so I reevaluated my own rhythms at the start of COVID when I um, initially wasn't sleeping so well. I have a great sleep therapist that I've worked on and off with through the years. And she does cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. So if any of you are struggling with sleep issues, like, hi, I'm Dr. Katie, and I have trouble sleeping sometimes. Um, <laughs> seeing a CBTI therapist can be really helpful. And I touched base with her, and she asked me, well, Dr. Katie, are you getting up the same time every day? And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm just sleeping as much as I can because I'm so tired. Yeah. And she said, well, why don't you start making, you know, why don't you start getting up the same time every day? So I decided during COVID that 5 a.m. would be my wake time. and so. Whether I like it or not, my alarm goes off at five. But what that does is it makes me sleepy, you know, right. 16 hours later. So I, I have no trouble going to sleep at nine o'clock. So I regulated my sleep rhythm that way. And it doesn't always work perfectly. Don't let me mm -hmm. fool you into thinking that it's always great. But to the honest, I get up so early. I have quite a bit of time to myself. Yeah. And so I get up and um, before I actually mobilize out of bed, I actually just spend that first few minutes. That's when I do my meditation. And it's the hardest time of day to do meditation because I wake up raring to go. Like I'm ready to fight a fire at 5 a.m. Oh. Um, if you need me to save your life at 5 a.m., wake me up. <laughs> your cortisol <laughs> levels are good in the morning, huh? <laughs> right. Totally. I'm ready. I'm, I'm firing all cylinders at 5 a.m. But when I wake up, I spend that first like couple of minutes just doing my meditation. Some days it's 30 seconds. Some days it's five minutes. Mm -hmm. um, but I just try to, to breathe into that space of mindfulness. Um, and I just try to calm my thoughts so that I can enter the day a little bit happier and healthier. Um, and then in the morning, I usually um, start with some water, of course. Mm -hmm. And then I have um, my cup of cherished cup of coffee. And I do something in the morning that, that um, sort of propels me for the day. So sometimes, um, you know, that's writing a little bit for my book. Sometimes that's starting with movement, depending on the day. So I either do, you know, walking or yoga or ride the Peloton or do some um, of the recorded Zoom recordings that I have for, you know, weight um, strength training kind of things. Um, and then I wait for the rest of the people in my household to wake up. But it's that start of the morning routine that starts with me yeah. um, that helps me to be able to show up for everybody else. You know, and I show up for eight-year-old twin boys. I show up for my spouse. Oh. I show up for my patients and my family. Mm -hmm. I show up for this. Yeah. Um, but the reason I'm able to do that is because I carve out, I carve out the space for, for me, just the regular Katie to exist. Uh Katie, thank you for saying that because there are so many women who feel like creating that time and that space for themselves is a selfish thing. And, and redefining that by what you're talking about is that if I have that time for myself, then I'm able to show up for everybody else in the way that I want to. And that sort of speaks deeply to your values of family and, you know, taking care of your patients and and everything that you do in the day that you realize it's not selfish, but it's really self-preservation as well as giving to everyone else in your life. I love that. Great. It's a, such a great example because there are, I'll tell you, like there's probably going to be some women listening to this who would say, well, my life is too busy. I can't do that. You're writing a book. You're working full time as a physician. You've got two children, the husband, wife, you know, all of that stuff. Yet you make that commitment to yourself and to your family and everyone in your life. So thanks for sharing that. And this is great. I, I appreciate you sharing all the personal stuff that you um, are, that you Im, Im, embed into your life because it really shows that, um, that it can be done. And so kind of shifting into how you work with your patients and what your work looks like, who do you see, who are some of the people that you work with, um, you do the work at, at the Center for Integrative Medicine in Stanford, right? That's correct. And yeah, I see all types of patients. I, I mean, they're, you know, they range from, from babies all the way up to, you know, 95-year-olds. So I see every age. Um, and I see both men and women, um, more women so than men. I think that's just because of, you know, the nature of also being a woman and also the nature of people who seek health care tend to be you know, women in their, um, you know, in their 30s through 60s. It right. just sort of tends to be the population. 
Um, but I do all sorts of stuff with patients. Of course, it comes back to making sure we lay the groundwork for good nutrition and physical movement and other things that we've talked about. But then it takes the shape of all sorts of things. And sometimes it's, it's very like, you know, a lot of coaching through things. Um, and, you know, that's why I love actually just love health coaching. I think it's one of the best things, best things since sliced bread. I'm a big fan. So great. I'm yeah. so glad that it's becoming now a more routine part of what people are considering to be like their health maintenance. Oh, um, so I'm a big proponent of that. Good. And so some of my work takes like on that form. Sometimes I'm working on, um, you know, pain issues with patients, anything from fibromyalgia to chronic headaches to back pain and neck pain, um, rheumatoid arthritis, like any kind of pain. Um, I work a lot with people who have digestive stuff. So everything from Crohn's or ulcerative colitis all the way to just, you know, irritable bowel syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many patients, going back to the poop conversation, we can't get away from it, my friend. I know, we cannot. Um, how, Right. We can't get away from it because it's so important. It is. I can't tell you how many times I'll talk to someone and they'll be like, oh yeah, I've been having diarrhea for 10 years and no one seems to be wanting to do anything about it. And I'm like, um, shut the front door. We need to do something about it right now. Like let's figure wow. this problem out. Right. Yeah. Um, and they're just so grateful. It's so wonderful to have a patient who's not chronically constipated or chronically running to the bathroom. Like yeah. talk about a game changer in your day. Like right. that will improve your quality of life more than anything. Right off the bat. So, you know, really homing in. Yeah, right off the bat, right? So really homing in on those issues that are really important, you know, just to our general function. Um, and then, you know, delving into some deeper issues too. But I see a lot of women for chronic stress management, depression, anxiety, um, sleep issues. I mean, you honestly, you name it. Mm -hmm. we see patients for that in, in the practice. Um, and then, you know, as far as like patients that I do detoxes with, they're sort of the same types of patients. They're, they're lovely patients who just have, you know, regular problems that just need to be solved mm -hmm. in a new way because what they've traditionally done isn't, isn't working for them. Yeah. Great. So, so it's interesting. I love the idea that you have such a range of people and sometimes some of the really simple things can be the things that are game changers for people. Um, I, I honestly don't think we talk about bathroom habits enough because people think that it's okay to have like that. Like I've had diarrhea for 10 years or there's people who say, well, I, I go to the bathroom like every three or four days. And they think that that's normal because nobody actually talks about it. Um, I think that's <laughs> not that we want the whole thing to be about poop, but it's really an important topic. Oh my gosh, it's so important. But yeah, no one's really talking about it and no one's really asking the question. Um, and I have a poop chart on the wall in my office. And every time <laughs> someone comes in, I was like, here's my fancy poop chart. Um, what, what does yours look like? And, you know, because we only really know what ours looks like, we don't really, you know, we're not going around and examining other people's. We don't really know what the range is. Right. Um, but if it's not coming out about once a day, Mm -hmm. coming out in one sort of long piece um, without too much straining or too much effort. And, you know, it's not messy at the end. You're not, you know, I always think about dogs. Dogs don't need to wipe their bums. <laughs> you know, they don't need toilet paper. So if you need lots of toilet paper, that's also a sign that like things are not right. Yeah. Um, but if it's not staying formed, then either it's too loose or it's, you know, way too compact and it's constipated. Um, and so figuring out like the functionality of all that is a game changer, but you should not be running to the bathroom, you know, after every time you eat, mm. you shouldn't also be spending 15 minutes in there trying to get it out. Right. Like it's gotta be somewhere in that happy medium of like, <laughs> you know, takes a few minutes happening once a day, usually in the morning. And it's kind of a non-event that would be perfect. That would yeah. be perfect. Right. Perfect. perfect. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the detox is part of what you do with people based on really individual needs, right? But you're usually hitting each one of those topics um, in terms of, as we talked about, you know, nutrition and physical movement, sleep, stress management, um, you know, the spiritual piece. But the detox too, being like, you know, all of those areas really focus on detox. And you, you talked about it being kind of a natural innate thing, right? Our bodies know how to do that if we're paying attention to them and being aware. And, um, you know, that is part of what, what you mentioned with meditation, really sitting. Um, if you have someone though, that 
that when you start to mention meditation, because there's a lot of myths around it and there's, there's people that are afraid of it or people that will tell you, you know, I'm type A, I just can't sit and that makes me nervous. Usually we dig a little bit underneath that to find out why that makes you um, anxious to sit. But if someone really can't do that in the beginning, um, as part of the, the detox to become aware of what's going on in your body and paying attention, how do you direct them? Where, where would you go with that? That's a great question. And I think a lot of us, again, we get overwhelmed with like the whole realm of possibilities that exists in how to meditate. Um, and again, it doesn't need to be fancy. Yeah. Um, yesterday I was talking with a patient who was saying, you know, that she has kind of a long commute home and she's no longer able to take the train because of COVID. Yeah. And, but when she gets home, she's kind of spent from the whole day. Yeah. And so we were sort of strategizing around things. And, um, and I was saying, you know, like, what if, like, what if when you drove past, you know, exit 18 on the highway, that was just your cue because that's about five or 10 minutes from home. That's your cue that you're just going to spend the next minute thinking about the three things that you were grateful for that day. Mm -hmm. And I mean, just even a small little gratitude list can move mountains in the spiritual self. Right. And so that's where we start in the detox is every day I ask you just to name three things. You can write them down. That would make it even better because it's so fun to like actually go back and like look at what the three things were. Yeah. But if you can't even write it down because that just seems too much, it's okay. Just name them. Speak that truth out loud and recognize that you had three things in your life that day that you were grateful for. That can be the start of the shift. The start of the shift of recognizing that the way that we feel about ourselves, about the people that we're with, about the decisions that we make, that it matters and that we're important and that we are worth recognizing. And so if the gratitude list today was like, hey, I drank a glass of water and that felt really good this morning. Like, that's fantastic. I know, right? You're yeah. cheering because for real, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, and celebrating those tiny milestones is the difference between the self-deprecating, like literal crap that we tell ourselves on a regular yeah. basis right, right, right. and the movement towards this idea that like, I'm amazing. And I can do amazing things when I'm given, you know, just the right sort of set of circumstances. And therein lies the change, right? Therein lies like getting out of the mud and getting the ball rolling again. Yeah. And those kinds of things can, can help us feel better. I like that reference of getting out of the mud. One of my um, favorite things around um, yoga and meditation is the lotus. And if there is no mud, there is no lotus, right? But moving up through that mud can take those small little steps and that you can do it in tiny things. Like you said, sometimes your meditation is 30 minutes, 30 seconds or 10 minutes. It doesn't have to be long like that. You also mentioned the, the, the crap that goes on in our heads. It's so true, right? That self-talk, you even mentioned it way back when. Um, and I think we all deal with that. Um, do you have any ideas or thoughts around um, how to, to manage that or how to deal with that when that's kind of the thing that, that brings people to a place where they're not, not really doing the things that might be supportive of their health? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we all have that, that voice in our head that doesn't always serve us. And um, I was talking to a patient this morning and she's like, my voice is shouting at me all the time. <laughs> And it literally does, it feels like that, right? Yeah. You know, this voice yeah. is yelling at us sometimes, like, you know, get your, get your butt in gear, like go exercise. Like you've gained 15 pounds during um, quarantine, like go, go do something about that. Right. But there's a great sort of statistic that we need to give ourselves, especially in times of conflict. And I would say, you know, anytime you're talking to the inner self, it's a little bit of conflict. Right. That it needs to be a ratio of 25 to one of positive to negative things. Mm -hmm. Holy smokes. Like that's impossible. Right. It's actually but it's something opposite, to sort right? of think about. Yeah. It's what? I think it's actually the opposite. Right. Most people are 25 negative to one positive. Exactly. Right. So therein lies the recognition, you know, recognition is part of the problem. Mm -hmm. um, and so therein lies the recognition that if your self-talk is mostly negative, that it's, it's time to flip it around. Yeah. 
Yeah. And to show yourself the same amount of love that you would show a friend. Mm. And, you know, we talk a lot about self-love, but I just listened to um, a thing cr- through Kripalu with Liz Gilbert oh. um, last weekend. And she was saying, she's so great. She um, and she was just saying that, you know, that we don't love ourselves very well, but we sure love our friends and treat our friends well. So treat yourself like a friend Mm -hmm. and just give yourself like that little bit of a change of saying something positive so that instead of something being negative, it's actually an opportunity for growth, right? So maybe you didn't start your day with water today. Maybe you started with coffee and that sent you into like a little bit of a cortisol rush Mm -hmm. um, with just kind of increasing the stress hormones, the fight or flight response. Um, But you can say like, oh, but hey, I recognize that. So tomorrow I can make a better choice and I'm going to do that tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I think it's just that, that flip of a switch to like the negative self-talk to just sort of making it an opportunity for the positive yeah. and then trying really hard to, to make it a, a bigger ratio of good stuff to bad stuff. Yeah. And then over the course of time, you know, we get some traction and we start to, we start to make that, you know, a bit better. And I'm not going to say that I don't have negative stuff that crosses my mind. It sure does. Yeah. But I would say in my mind these days at 40, a whole heck of a lot more positive stuff is coming across my mind than negative for sure. Fantastic. And I, I do agree that, um, you know, what you've talked about with meditation or taking that time that allows you to create the space to really make that shift right in the moment where you catch yourself and you say, Oh, how can I make this a little bit more positive? And it's not like you're being Pollyanna. You're making things up. It's really, how can I realistically shift this? But we're also hardwired for negativity. You know, we don't, it doesn't come naturally to us. I mean, that was kind of how we protected ourselves way back when, you know, when there were a lot of things that were, you had to pay attention to and be negative about and be critical about. So it's on the hard drive sometimes. And I think if people understand that too, they can say, oh, so I have to practice this. I got to work at this. This isn't just going to come. And like you said, just there's always an opportunity to kind of flip that around and make it positive versus negative. So I like that ratio, the 25 to one. That's, that's an important thing to keep track of. Um, it's kind of like 80-20 rule where 80% of the time you're doing <laughs> all the things you know are really helpful and supportive of your health. of the time you can say, okay, you know, I'm going to let myself have a a pass on this, right? Yeah. 100%. I I totally believe in the 80-20 rule. I started adopting that in medical school, actually. I would have these um, friends who would come up to me the night before the test and they'd be like, hey, did you read about that one receptor that does this very specific thing? It's only, and I'd be like, yo, is that high yield? And then my friend would be like, I'm not sure. And I'm like, I don't think so. I'm not going to learn it because I don't have capacity for all of that. Right. Yeah. So take the most important stuff, the high yield stuff. It's 80% of the time you should follow high yield stuff. And the rest of the time, eh, don't worry so much. Like cut yourself some slack. It's okay. Ooh, I like thinking about it as high yield. That's a, I think that's a new term I'm going to adopt. I'm writing that one down. High yield. It's been serving, it's been serving me well since 2004. Yeah, no, that's great. I love it. Um, Tell me, why don't we dig a little bit into your detox? You mentioned earlier that you you do a five-day, but you prefer a 10-day. Tell me the difference between the two, and you do it with your patients, but you also offer that individually, right? As something that people could do when you're not your patient. Yeah, absolutely. The detox is open to anyone. Everyone needs to have their, um, their personal physician just sort of sign off on the fact that they're, you know, capable and ready to do a deeper dive into um, these tenets of health. Really, of course, as we just said, you know, eating better, making sure we're attending to our sleep, doing some joyful movement every day, and then making sure that we pay attention to our spiritual self. Um, and the dietary part of it is really much more focused on just eliminating the things that we know aren't serving us in our diet. So we ask that patients really take out processed foods, you know, things that are higher in gluten um, and wheat, because generally that, not that gluten is inherently evil, it's not, it's just that it comes into our diet in highly processed forms, which is not good for us. Um, Takes out cow dairy, um, as well as some other, you know, inflammatory food groups. 
and then um, prioritizes the rest of, of the things that we talked about. And we do that over the course of 10 days. If you do a 10 day detox, I have a health coach that I work with, um, Coach mm -hmm. Courtney. She and I will guide you through the detox day by day. And we're there um, via text message, literally step-by-step step the whole way. Any questions you have, we're right there for you. Um, and one of the reasons I love using text message is that it helps create this beautiful community of people. And generally the people that do my detox tend to be really lovely humans. I don't know how that <laughs> happens. I think, I think the universe just must, we all must attract each other, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're all really lovely and they end up building this really beautiful community of, I call it the detox support group. It's just like where you go to complain, it's where you go to voice your, your achievements, um, the things that you're really proud of, all the delicious meals that you're making, um, maybe some of the, um, the detoxy feelings that you might be going through. So but we're on, really there in real time with you. Is this on like a, a Facebook platform or something like that? It's on WhatsApp, which I really love. Oh, I love the yeah. convenience and ease of WhatsApp. You don't have to log into anything. It's just right there. And you can sort of scroll it as actively as you want, or you can totally ignore it if you want to as okay. well. Okay. Um, but I, I like WhatsApp for the detox support group. Okay. Um, but we're with you the whole 10 days. And what it really allows me is a very intimate view into someone's life, you know, because you're snapping pictures of your of your lunch. And so I can reflect on that with you and be like, oh, you know, actually, you need a little bit more whole grain to find the right amount of balance in this particular dish. Yeah. Or, um, you know, people are really talking about like, well, this is my normal rhythm at night before I go to bed. Do you think I could shore this up a little bit? So we're really able to give, you know, constant um, real-time feedback. Well, great. We also have a five-day detox, which is much more self-motivated. It's okay. more like one, like, let's get this done. Like, let's get right down to business. There's not a lot of hand-holding. Um, but what's nice about that is it's on demand. So okay. the 10-day detox, I only do, you know, once a season or so. Okay. Um, and the five day can be done anytime you want. Oh, nice. Okay. So those are, um, available through your website, which is, tell me the name of your website. Dr. Katie. Yeah. Just drkatie.com. Super easy. Got that. So D-R Katie or D-O-C-T-O-R? It's D-R Katie. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to add all this information too in the show notes so people will have that. Um, but that's really helpful to know that people, you know, because there's all ranges of people, somebody who feels like they can do that kind of on their own. But I think it is also important what you say in the beginning that, you know, they kind of have to have a sign off from their physician that they're okay to do it. Um, some of the things that might inhibit someone from doing a detox that um, may not be the right thing for them, what would those things be? I would say anyone who um, is not already like in a generally good state of health, like if you are really actively sick with something, if you're undergoing chemotherapy or you have, you know, an existing cancer diagnosis that is, you know, undergoing like pretty aggressive treatment. Mm -hmm. um, if you have an eating disorder, mm -hmm. if you're pregnant or breastfeeding, mm -hmm. um, we should definitely talk about that. Breastfeeding is a sort of relative contraindication, but if you're pregnant, this is not, you know, you have the whole rest of your life to be amazing and fit. Um, <laughs> pregnancy is, is not exactly that time. It's your yeah. time to nurture the, the being that's growing inside of you. Yeah. Um, and so those are some of the, the big contraindications to okay. wanting to, uh, to detox. Okay, great. You know, I wanted to dig a little bit, if we still have some time, just into the acupuncture part of your practice, because you, you actually do acupuncture with your patients. And um, if you could tell me a little bit about, like, the different types of acupuncture and um, what your training was and, you know, why someone would actually do acupuncture in the first place. Yeah, let's talk about acupuncture. I love it as a modality. Honestly, you can do acupuncture for almost anything, um, though the World Health Organization has a whole list of, um, you know, sort of conditions that they lay out that acupuncture, the evidence for acupuncture is there, meaning that there are um, studies that support acupuncture for those specific purposes. Um, but I've traditionally myself gotten acupuncture from people who were trained in traditional Chinese medicine, like licensed acupuncturists. And that's a great way to get your acupuncture. Mm -hmm. Understand that when you see a licensed acupuncturist, they've been trained in traditional Chinese medicine in the same way I was trained in Western medicine. They go through a rigorous 
four-year process to be trained to do um, Chinese herbs, Chinese medicine, and acupuncture together. Mm -hmm. The way that medical doctors do acupuncture is a little bit different. It's called medical acupuncture, and we do it in a much shorter course, not fully understanding, and I will admit this, right? There is a vast array of knowledge out there, and I'm certainly not an expert in all of it, and I wish it's in my like sort of life plan eventually someday when I have free time, when is that going to be? I don't know. Um, so actually go back and learn more about acupuncture. Cause I understand some of it, but I certainly don't understand all of it. And I did a medical acupuncture course through the, um, through SUNY downstate state university of New York down in Brooklyn, um, uh, several years ago. Okay. And, um, and that gave me my, um, my primer in Chinese medicine to understand how acupuncture works. Okay. But getting acupuncture from a medical doctor is very different than getting it from a licensed acupuncturist. And it kind of just depends on like what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. As far as the type of acupuncture that I do, I do Chinese medicine type acupuncture, but I also do what's called a trigger point injection. And that can be really helpful um, for people who are having chronic pain, like if you have chronic tension in your neck and shoulders or in your lower back and you just know your muscles are in spasm, you can use a slightly bigger needle using the tendons of acupuncture to release those tight muscles. And that will often be very, very helpful for a release of like myofascial or muscle and fascia related discomfort. Okay. So we offer both of those types of acupuncture at our, at our center. Okay, like plantar fasciitis, which is something that probably a lot of people come in with. <laughs> plantar fasciitis is really amenable to regular um, tiny needle like Chinese medicine acupuncture. Oh, great. Okay. Trigger point acupuncture would be more for like people who have um, like migraine headaches and chronic tension headaches oh. and neck pain or okay. TMJ type stuff. And you know that you're harnessing a lot of tension like in your One area. like upper um, yeah, in your upper neck, that would be a more amenable to that type of acupuncture. Okay, great. That's a great distinction. I didn't realize that there was um, a medical acupuncture training versus the licensed acupuncturist with Chinese medicine. Um, wonderful. I mean, there's just, yeah. there, there is so much to know. There's so many, there's so many modalities that, that are so um, just, they, they just open you up to many different treatments that are not that don't have as many side effects and, and really um, just, I think just a great way of, of helping people understand that there's other options out there, right? Um, and finding an integrative physician, um, where would you recommend? I know in functional medicine, we have the Institute for Functional Medicine where people go on that site and find people that are in their area. Um, is there some place that that people could go to find an integrative physician if they're not in your area. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm in southwestern Connecticut, um, but if you're looking for someone who's local to you, um, one of the best places to go is actually where I was fellowship trained. You can go to um, the Arizona Center for Integrative Med Medicine, AZCIM, um, and you can go to their website and you can actually find all of the other physicians around the country who were trained similarly to the way that I was. We all did integrative medicine fellowship training. And so that would at least assure you that the person that you're seeing um, has a good, a good backbone in integrative medicine. Right. Which I, I definitely feel like that's a really important component to finding somebody is, is knowing that they've been trained with a really good program. Um, and there's, there's some support around that and legitimacy. Um, so that's great. Thanks for telling me that. Um, so how can, um, if people want to see you, um, it would be in, in Southwestern Connecticut. Um, but tell us also, there's other ways to reach out to you. How can people find you outside of your website? You have some other social media ways of connecting with people. Oh, social media. It's the <laughs> best and the worst, isn't it? Oh yeah. my goodness. It's what, it's what led you and me together. I you know, know what I mean? I We've know. been communicating through Instagram, which is very funny. Yeah. Um, since there are so many other ways we could communicate. Um, but Instagram, I'm on Instagram. Um, my, my handle is um, at D-O-C-T-O-R-K-A-T-I-E. I'm also on Facebook, though I'm not as active on Facebook. And um, my website, you can also email me. You can, find, um, you can find a way to contact me through my website if you want to reach out. Um, and I do, like, I, I work with patients all across the country. This is the sort of miracle of 
of um, telemedicine these days that I'm really able to work with people all over the place. And so if you have a need and you think that I might be able to help you, it would, it would truly be my honor um, to be a part of your, of your health journey. So definitely reach out if you have um, questions or concerns. Yeah, great. And, and last but not least, you are in the process of writing a book. You mentioned that, that sometimes in the morning, that's something that you have as your morning routine. So tell us a little bit about that and, and what's coming with that. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. So for any of you who've seen any of the stuff I do in social media, or if you're on my website poking around, you'll see that I, I like to cook. Um, and I have a real passion for plant-forward um, eating and cooking. And when I say plant-forward, I don't mean vegan or vegetarian. I mean just sort of making most of what we eat come from, um, from plants, mostly vegetables, of course. And so um, I've been writing a book on why one should eat plant-forward. And it's really fun to delve into the science and make it applicable to our everyday lives. So thinking about things like, you know, the cancer research, the heart disease research, the inflammatory research that's out there and sort of drilling into that. And then presenting what I, you know, think to be an anti-inflammatory diet and then how to bring that to life. So I'm also in the development of recipes for the book. So it's kind of like a, a little bit of a science book meets a cookbook with a bottle of Dr. Katie Flair. And if you haven't gotten a flair for what that is a lot through this podcast, it's, yeah. you know, sort of warm and fuzzy feeling. Um, and a bit of, you know, just fun and finding some grace along the way, um, along with a little bit of humor too. And so um, it's a, it's kind of a collaboration of all those ideas, but it's really fun to write because it's, it's a great use of my creative energy. Um, but it's really fun to, um, to develop the recipes and, and try them with my friends and, you know, just sort of, um, it's a way to build community, right? And I think we're all sort searching for ways to build community, especially when we're, um, you know, in the midst of, of COVID. Especially now. Yeah. I mean, food is such a great way to connect people. Food is love, right? And so there's, there's such uh, a connection, especially when you, you cook food with the energy of love and healing. I think it's even better <laughs> because of those components. And then and then just kind of bringing all those things together. I love the idea that you've got a little bit of science in there, a little bit of humor, a little bit of food, um, but also thinking about, you know, it's fun, right? I mean, you know, you want to start something oh, like that yeah. with a lot of fun behind it, right? Absolutely. I think we all kind of get into that space in the kitchen where it's like a chore yeah. um, or anything in our life for that matter, anything that we sort of have to do, right? It becomes a chore, but actually, all these things are opportunities to reframe and think like, what could I create today that might taste really amazing and be inspiring? And it doesn't, I'm not a fancy cook. I don't use fancy ingredients. Um, <laughs> I like things that don't have too many ingredients in them actually. Okay. Um, and so I, I try to, I try to build, you know, the recipes and just the way that I live my life really homing in on just like the most important stuff. And then you just sprinkle in some, little fancy things along the way, but the most of the backbone of what we do is, you know, is pretty like normal stuff. Well, I'm looking forward to reading it when it comes out. I know it's not going to be out and probably until 2021 and the title is yet to yeah, be sometime. but we'll update this when this podcast comes out. Um, so do you have kind of a projected date or like at least time frame, month wise? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be fall of 2021, just okay. making sure I can keep my act together. Yeah, <laughs> you will. <laughs> you will, because you've got all these great self-care practices. So you're not going to make yourself nuts about getting it, you know, just perfect, but it's going to be a great book, I'm sure. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. I appreciate oh. it. Good. So I think, I think we're going to wrap it up. I mean, we've, this, is, this has been so informative and so helpful for me and I hopefully for the listeners to find um, some ways of really shifting in small ways, but um, also thinking about detox is kind of a, you know, an innate thing, using your innate wisdom and really um, allowing your body to do what it normally will do if you give it the chance, the opportunity. So great. Thank oh, you, I'm Dr. So appreciative. Katie. Thank you so much for having me. I, this has been a, a joyful a joyful break from my day. So thank you. Oh, good, good. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Katie. I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed that conversation. 
I find such gratitude in the honesty that Dr. Katie brought to this episode, as well as the ideas of allowing for small shifts, creating a base of fertile ground, the innate wisdom of our bodies in the detox process, CBTI for insomnia and sleep, acupuncture. Wow. Okay. So you'll find links to all of the information we talked about in the show notes on my website, karenbush.com, under the Full Capacity Living Podcast. Thank you for listening, and I really hope you had a few takeaways. So as you know, this is a new podcast, and I would greatly appreciate any reviews you can give us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Hit the subscribe button or share if you feel moved to. Right now, the podcasts are dropping every two weeks on Mondays, and as we get rolling, I hope to move that to every week. So look for another episode in two, two weeks right here. Until then, small micro slices of change to head toward healthy habits that stick. Thanks for listening.